0: Okay, you guys ready to be rocketing to the Fourth Dimension? All right, uh, let's give a, a, a round of applause and a welcome to um, Peter M. <laughs> okay. My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Great for to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, to the uh, woman who slipped me a note, um, if that's what floats your boat, great. Um, It's not in my big book. Maybe it's in your big book. But wherever it appears, if that works for you, making 90 meetings in 90 days, God bless you. That's great. Um, My job is to do what God asked me to do and to speak truth. And the truth will set you free and it will piss you off along the way once in a while. and um, I also found that the truth is true until you find out it no longer isn't and so uh, one of the great things about uh, not depending on meetings but depending upon God is I don't have to sit with a resentment uh, for day after day after day get free of it and be in a place of surrender and acceptance but I thank you for the note Uh, at least you're here and paying attention Um, so I thank you for that God separated me from alcohol June 23rd, 1988. I'm a recovered drunk. And when I say recovered, uh, it's because it's my truth. I wasn't recovered when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous in June of 1988. I was, uh, didn't look like a poster child for anyone should be in AA uh, on this path. I looked like someone who needs to be put back in treatment even though I was out of treatment. And uh, my first six months in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was dependent on meetings and people to keep me sober. And it kept me afloat, kept my head above water. But I was nowhere near experiencing the spiritual transformation, uh, the necessary ingredient to change me from the inside out. And so being separated from alcohol, I still found myself suffering from alcoholism. And uh, the rude awakening I had to experience was meetings don't treat alcoholism. It's one part of a three-sided triangle, and so often we'll settle for just making meetings. Hey, that's where floats your boat great, but my truth as a real alcoholic, it's one part of a three-sided triangle. In fact, if that was the only solution, I've said this a million times, we would have a pamphlet, not a big book, that said make meetings. Go home, make meetings, you're done. Uh, But there's a whole humble legacy that preceded my entrance into Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's a whole legacy that we get to experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, my first six months, I wasn't doing that. I was going to meetings and acting out every which way possible because the dis- disease and discomfort was still there. You took my medicine away. I'm raw, I'm a raw nerve, and I don't know how to function out there. I don't mean, how to function Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd walk in, be pinned against a wall when there'd be 50 seats to sit in. I couldn't even walk down an aisle, couldn't drive around without thinking, people looking at me saying, there he is. That's extreme self-centeredness, but it's also a ton of fear. What a way to live. And so I might find some relief for an hour if I was able to settle in and meet a couple of buds that I knew. But at some point the meeting would end and I had to go home and it was back on me and I had to go back to my room alone. And so the mind starts saying, where are we gonna get some relief? Let's make a phone call. Let's do this, let's go do that. Let's do this, let's do that. All to escape me and my isms. And I bottomed out on December 22nd, 1988, and uh, I made a surrender, which is what I do now, 25 years later, daily surrender to a loving God. Please take me from this. And when we think about six and seven, when we think about the work God doesn't want me to sacrifice my attributes. God doesn't want me to sacrifice to him the good things I do. God doesn't need me to say, listen, I'm not as sick as those other people. I'm special. I'm different. I'm not as screwed up as them. God doesn't need me to do that. What the sacrifice God wants me to make is surrendering to him, a surrender in my brokenness. I cannot do this. Please fix me. God, the sacrifice I make to God in six, in seven, in the rest of the work, in the day I was separated from alcohol, maybe the most honest day I'll ever be in my entire life, the sacrifice was, I'm broken, fix me. I don't know how to stay sober. I can't stay sober. I can't even live life. And that is the key. That is the little mustard seed that flips us, especially in 6 and 7. So I do doing good things, which is a wonderful thing. We go out and do acts of charity. We give to others. We're on the service plane rather than the taking plane. Great things. But that's all God. That's just a reflection of God working in our life. That's what God gave us from the beginning. That's not what's going to get me well. It'll help. What I need to do is surrender my brokenness. Weak in the flesh and subject to sin. I don't mean flesh, but just flesh, my, my, the core of my being, if you will. I'm broken and I'm susceptible to anything because we have a thinking mind. I have a thinking mind that doesn't rest because I'm, I'm sober so long or I go to meetings or I have a sponsor. It couldn't care less. What it's looking for is to take a little piece of brokenness and pull on it and pull me right out of here. So it's a daily surrender to God in in my brokenness. Now the ego wants no part of hearing the word broken. The ego wants no part of hearing defect. They're defected, I'm not. But the piece of humility that we will experience going through the work and looking at us on five and speaking to someone in step five is here it is in black and white. And it just comes down to a separation from God, which we'll talk about in a minute. Before I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was not one who was uh, dying to see God, looking for a relationship with God so I can be euphoric. I showed up to God out of desperation. There was nowhere else to go. And I had doubts and skepticism about this power because of my Contempt Pride investigation. And again, the truth is true until we find out it no longer isn't. I operated on a certain way on my current truth until someone showed showed me a new truth, and everything changed. I remember when I was a kid, and uh, my parents would shut the lights and say goodnight, and I'd go to bed, and in the middle of the night, I would see this shadow, and I knew it was... The monster, the boogeyman. And I knew it was moving, and it was moving closer to me, and it was going to do terrible things to me. And then what do you do? You cry, you cry for mom and dad. They come in the room, they turn on the light, and it's a chair. It's a coat hanging. The truth is true until I found out it no longer isn't. This process of recovery, I make decisions. I speak. I act based on what I see. And basically, I walked around with blinders. I was in the dark. And AA and God flipped on the light and they said, that's what I've been afraid of. That's how I've been operating. It's a chair. It's not a person. It's a coat. It's not the boogeyman. And step five says, at the promise is we begin to feel the nearness of our creator. Walking hand in hand, no more duality with the, with the, with the spirit. We begin to have a spiritual experience, the infancy of one, but one nonetheless. The veil has dropped and suddenly we look at things and say, oh my God, truth, that isn't always pleasant. But I've touched the spirit now and I'm experiencing some oneness and I've gotten some courage, some strength and direction to take another step and really remove the rest of what's in the way in six and seven. But I didn't like God. God took my mom. God turned me into a drunk. Uh, God gave me a God-awful relationship with my dad. God, God gave me nothing but heartache and disappointment, and you want me to surrender to what you're calling a loving God? Maybe your God is loving. Maybe you had an easy life. You have a new car. You have a great wife. You have a great life. I would love God too. Look where I am. And I remember when I was out there, a couple of true stories. I, uh, I was in Lower Manhattan, uh, not where the trade center used to be. There was a Roman Catholic church there, and I'm a Catholic. And I was in dire straits one Sunday night. I mean, I was in se- Saturday night. I was in serious trouble. And I'm just wandering through the streets, and I hadn't bathed in a while. I was homeless. And uh, I went to the church to seek refuge, something. I don't know what, but Something. And I had some contempt when I knocked on a door and rang the bell, and knocked on a door and rang the bell. And finally, through the speaker, uh, what, I, what turned out to be a priest was asking me what's wrong. I said, I need to speak to someone, please. And he says, Well, we're having dinner. Can you come back later? I said, You see what I mean? Just same old, same old. And I knew God had it in for me. And I begged and pleaded. And he came down, and he was rude and abrupt. And he took me into a little office, he says, what can I do for you? And I told him, my tales are whoa. I'm a drunk. I'm homeless. I don't know where to go for help. I don't want to do this anymore. Can you please help me? Send me somewhere. He blessed me with holy water. He went back to dinner and out the door I went. He invited me back out. I said, "The hell with God. There's a crock. Where's a man in a cloth supposed to be helping me? I was a long showman for a long time, and I was, it was about a month, two months after this, this incident, and I was in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and uh, again on another drunk, and it was a weekend night, and we had what they call the seaman center, and a lot of the men on the ship would go there and hang out, a little clubhouse for them, and it was, it was uh, 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 funded by the Catholic organizations. I went up there. And all these men didn't speak English. And I'm sitting there. It was warm. I didn't know what to do. There was some food. I'm trying to bum money off with of just something. Get me out of where I am. I was desperate, just reaching. But this time, a priest showed up. In fact, this priest was to marry me in my first marriage because we became dear friends. And he came up to me and said, what's wrong? He said, what's wrong, young fella? And I told him my tales of wise. And I started to cry this time. And he took me into his office. He made some phone calls. And he blessed me, and uh, he gave me money. He says, this is not a good idea, but I'm going to give you money. Maybe you'll feed yourself. Maybe you'll need some shelter. And he gave me some money, and he gave me a phone number to call the next day to put me in a treatment center. I obviously didn't go to that treatment center. I used that money to to get high. But that man stood with me for a long time short time later, June 23, 1988, showed up, and I finally got sober, and I went back to make amends to that priest, and we became dear friends. And as I said, uh, he was to marry me in my parish in Brooklyn when I got married. And I thought, through the early days of recovery when it was so bad, that that one priest who said, I'm having dinner, maybe he just had a bad day. But God showed up with that second priest and planted a little seed of hope that someone actually cared for me. And for me, it was important being a kayak having a man of the cloth do that. Still not too sure about God. I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and you bear witness for me in the works you did. No one took a cheap shot. No one slipped a note underneath the table to me. No one took a cheap shot with me. They loved me for all my brokenness, all my defects, all my shortcomings, all my inappropriate behavior, all my acting out. People in AA said, You're one of us, come aboard. That spoke louder than anything. And when you guys said we got that from God, I could not deny what my eyes were seeing, what my ears were hearing. Your actions spoke louder than any words you could speak anyway. I said, Maybe there's something to this, and I began to pray. And little by slowly I found myself praying voluntarily. And little by slowly, I was bathing and eating regularly. And little by slowly, I was making meetings on my own and doing the things I had to, and I found a sponsor. And when I bottomed out on December 22, 1988, I was going on another drunk, but I had this, this, this moment of clarity, go back to the father, ask him one more time to be rescued. And I found myself in front of a gentleman's door, and that's when he said to me, where are you? at? had gone the steps. Is when you start the steps. He says, when you stop throwing up, you're late. God threw me another life raft. I could not doubt the power of God in Alcoholics Anonymous. I could not doubt the power of God in Alcoholics Anonymous members. God works through people. What a great thing I belong to, and I finally got it. After about six months of being in this sacred fellowship, how sacred this fellowship is. The great thing we belong to, and my job is not only to do things like this, this is easy. It's about being in the trenches and working with drunks and giving my time and doing anything God asked me and carried across, go wherever He asked me to go, for fun and for free to be of service, to give back because I don't know who's walking the door, I don't know those guys along the wall maybe got one day back and are watching me to see if AA really works. I have a responsibility, we have a responsibility to this because based on my track record, I can't speak for you, based on my track record, I'm not supposed to be in a suit giving a talk at an AA meeting sober. I'm supposed to be in some funeral parlor right now or already buried around a drunk or ripping your house off right now while you're sitting in an AA meeting. No? No? I knew you'd identify with that one. <laughs> and the journey began. And God blessed me with tremendous teachers. The people that have been put in my path makes no sense. Icons in AA. My lineage goes right back to Dr. Bob. Now, that doesn't mean I'm special or my big book methodology is better than yours. You have yours, I have mine. We're all going to the same place, the same God, even different religions. I don't care. At some point, we're worshiping something. At the end of the day, it's the same thing. But my methodology was passed on to me, and that's what I give to others. How did these people get put in my path? I'm a punk from Brooklyn, I'm a drunk. I wasn't always a punk. I was a good kid growing up, and I became what I became. Weak in the flesh, sold unto the slavery of sin is what I live. And I don't do the good things that I want to do or intend to do. I do the things I hate and despise because of the brokenness. What that big book says, lack of power is my dilemma. So with power, no dilemma. So I could have the best intentions to do the right thing tonight, but my brokenness will take me down a dark alley. That's not what I intended on doing. I use all my willpower to be loyal, faithful, understanding, compassionate, and I blow up, I cheat on you, I rob you, and I rip you off. That wasn't the plan at 8 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, I'm going, oh, to heck with it anyway, and minimize and justify all my inappropriate behavior. Yes? and if we think about over the last week how many times we fell short sin, missing the mark and in my brokenness I do sinful things or inappropriate things sin is just missing the mark the ignorance that I have a relationship with God it's, well I'm on my own therefore here comes self-reliance here comes unmanageability, fear and agnosticism and I do what I do and for people like me at some point I'm picking up a drink but that's not the plan that's not what I intend on doing My intent was to go home after work and have dinner with the children and the wife and somehow I'm in a bar at three o'clock in the morning. How did I shift? Because I'm broken. Six and seven screams at this. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I will do inappropriate things because I don't have the power to stop it. I've been talking to a lot of folks like who've been in there, the jam, the jammed up. And some of them are doing step work but they're doing it out of compliance and just following mechanics. Not understanding that 4 through 9, how vital it is, how life-giving it is, how transformative it is, if I approach 4 through 9 as my design for living, this is going to flip me from the inside out so I can go live life as God intended me to live, not as my illness wants me to live. And when the defects start to uh, dissolve, when the ego starts to get grinded into dust, when I start to return home on a spiritual level, I will find out that I've been walking around with all these fake identities that I've created, my ego has driven me to create, and I'm walking away simply, not from anything good, I'm walking away from a case of mistaken identity. That's what 6 and seven's about. Because I show up to step forward, all this stuff, who I think I'm supposed to be, who you're supposed to be, how much money I'm supposed to have, where I'm supposed to live, what I'm supposed to own, and all these things, these things out there, and these identities I give you and me and what that's supposed to look like, and I'm disappointed regularly. I don't even know who I am when I show up to Alcoholics Anonymous or in this work. I don't know who I am when I show up to God. And somewhere in 4 through 9, we start to uncover, discover, and then discard. And we're left for truth, and that isn't always pleasant. Standing in the raw before my creator or or, or everyone else, that's a very uncomfortable feeling, but it's necessary in order to God put me back together. No attachments to anything. If I have attachments to something, then I'm putting something before God. How free do I want to be? I'm in treatment center business. Great guys, great women. Most of them are looking to get well. Some of them aren't. But there's so many conditions, even new people, so many conditions. And sometimes the old times, so many conditions on what their life's supposed to look like. I get it. And so many conditions on the things they need to get well. And you need nothing, no thing to get well. Everything you've been given to get well was given to you at birth. Actually, before that, what, what was done is we've accumulated these identities. I need a cell phone. I need a computer. I needed a car. I need a relationship. I need more money. I need the right job. I need, I need, I need. And then I can go to A.A. and be Moses. <laughs> don't need anything. A man who changed the world had a robe and slippers. and not have a car and a cell phone. Whether you believe in that or not, I don't want to break a tradition. Hmm? Any great spiritual leader, teacher of our time that you study, whether they had things or not, when you speak to them, when you read about them, they didn't need anything. Mother Teresa, a hero. She didn't go to Gucci and wear a gown. $300 to get her hair fixed. How many people has she touched? And we go on and on with this. We don't need anything to find God, to experience God. It's already there. The great reality is deep down within. How willing am I? What does my any lens look like? Do I have conditions on my any lens? And hopefully, by the time we get to step one, where it says we admit palace are powerless have become unmanageable, I'm convinced at a gut level, a cellular level, that anything I do on my power does not work. Anything I try to arrange, anything I try to have, is only going to be broken at the end anyway. It's only going to cause more harm, because I'm doing it on me, and based on my first-step experience, whatever I touch falls apart anyway. Even when I really want to, my experience—I really want to do this. I really want to make this work. I really want to keep this job. It falls apart. Why? Because I'm running the show. I can't play God. How can I experience God when I am God? How often I've been playing God. How often this past week have my defects flourished, and I tuck them away so it's okay, as long as no one knows about it. I'll fix it tomorrow. Who's going to fix what tomorrow? Because I can't, I speak for myself, I cannot work on my defects. It's futile. It doesn't work because I'm using me to overcome me. But I want to be present. I want to experience God. The quality of my consciousness at this moment determines my future. What determines that? How much presence I have. How do I experience presence? What's my relationship with God look like? If I can be still and present, I can hear, I can see, I can speak, and I worry about the next beat when it comes up. And fear of the future is removed. Most of us are sitting around while we're here thinking about 10 minutes from now, 20 minutes from now, tomorrow morning, next week, and it goes on and on and on. So we're split constantly in 100 different places. And someone like me won't only die from one gunshot wound. I will die from a 1,000 cuts. No God, no inventory, no meeting, no sponsor, acting out, defects of character. And I bleed to death right before your eyes. But if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm saying, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm great. I'm super great. Let me tell you about how great I am. Because I'm I'm a humble guy. So step one tells me I'm drinking and there's no way out. And I can make all the meetings I want if I'm a real alcoholic. According to my first 164 pages, according to my big book, I'm not going to make it. Dr. Bob has some great words in his story. He said, if you think this, you can do this some other way. He says, and I quote, I feel sorry for you. That's my co-founder. My great, 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 great grand sponsor. I feel sorry for you is what he said. He didn't say, let's talk about your feelings. Let's process your resentment. I feel sorry for you. Those are his words, not mine. Step one tells me I'm drinking. What do I do? I need a power. I need something to keep me from drinking. And that's what I was settling for at the beginning. I just don't want to drink another drink. I'm going to die. What do I do? They said, God. But as I said, I saw it working in you. You bear witness for me. Okay, where do I find God? Where do I go? Where do I find God? I'll go to church more. I'll go to more meetings and know it's inside. But you got to get rid of what's blocking you. I'm jammed up. I'm blocked. need to get unblocked. Are you willing to do it? Absolutely. Because step one drives us, drives us, drives us through the rest of the work. Drives me deeper into step one and the need for power. Not away from God. Not to rest on my laurels saying, hey, look at me, I'm gold because I got 90 days. Or 10 years. In fact, the longer we're sober, and some old timers will confirm this, the longer we're sober, we need God even more. Because the ego's been doing push-ups in the back room. Not that back room, by the way. So I make a decision in three, and off I go, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. Decision just a decision. Action four through nine. What do I do? And I start inventory. Searching for some moral inventory, resentment, fear, sex principles, institutions, all on paper in black and white. God guiding the pen. And when I'm done, I go sit with someone. Here's the first real force feeding of humility. I'm going to tell you everything about me that God revealed, not me, because I won't reveal anything. I'll just put a couple of things to make it look good, right? But I'll tell you how much I really want to get well, but my actions don't show that. And so I sit down, and I'm have a force-feeding of humility because I'm trying to get a new relationship with my creator, a new relationship, one that's unblocked, one that's pure, one that consists of purity, honesty, unselfishness, and love, a new relationship with God, standing on a different ground now, and everything is put aside for a moment. It's interesting, a bunch of years later, the God I grew up with is the same God I pray to now, but a completely different set of conceptions about it, if you will. Different idea about it. Not a punishing, damning God. Just all love and no opposite and forgiveness. I can go to that. Right. And I finish with five. And, and step five, uh, uh, You know, uncovering and discovering any, everything that God has given me. And I ask this with the guys I sponsor. And my sponsors have asked me, is there anything else you need to tell me? Anything you're going to tuck away? Sometimes it's, okay, here it is. Usually with the sex inventory. But here it is. And we get freer. If we're free tonight, do we want to be freer? Do we like the effect produced by God? If you're in bondage, do you want to experience freedom for the first time? Simply, I always was told, ask yourself, how's that working for me so far? Based on what I'm doing, how am I doing? Could be better. Okay, let's get better. That's why we're here. Today is about getting us well. A room full of broken toys and God's going to fix them, put them all back together again. And I finished step five and we have step five promises. It says we're delighted when we're done. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Be alone at perfect peace and ease. Now, prior to that, I'd have the TV on, the radio on, writing inventory, you know, smoking, uh, on the phone, cooking, and about to get in the shower all at once. <laughs> but I'm still, and I'm present. Right? Right. And then one time, uh, I was watching, i never forget this, I was watching a basketball game. I was watching a Nick game. And I watched the entire game, the pregame show, the entire four quarters, had a little lunch in between, watched the entire game, and the game was over. And when the game ended and I was just kind of doing some things around the apartment, I realized, it, like, like this thunderbolt, I just watched four quarters of basketball and I did nothing else. And I was okay sitting on the couch watching a Nick game. I didn't have to go to the phone. I didn't have to look out the window. I didn't have to do anything. I was totally okay in my skin. Now, for some of us who have been around a long while, what's the big deal? When you're new, it's a big deal. And I said, they talked about this in step five. Those fifth step promises, by the way, my first experience with five when I was done the first time was one of relief. It's done, and I felt a part of AA. I felt a part of you guys. I'm like the rest of you guys. Later on in six and seven, Eight and nine of the fifth step promises actually show up in my life. I start to feel different. There was one time I was going to a meeting called the Bath Beach Group in Brooklyn. And it was a 7 o'clock and an 8.30 meeting. And I'm there for the beginner's meeting at 7 o'clock. And it was a school building. I'm going up the steps. And I get to the second floor. And I'm floored by this feeling of euphoria. I don't know where it came from. I had done my five, I had done six and seven, I was into amends, but when they talked about the nearness of our creator walking hand in hand with the spirit, this is what I was experiencing. I didn't know it. I said, what's going on? This is what I'm feeling. And I talked to my sponsor and this woman that, that he sponsored also, and they explained to me exactly what's going on. This said, be still, don't talk it away. Something was changing and the way it manifested in my life was I felt incredible amount of gratitude for being in an old school in a dingy classroom on a Friday night at 7 o'clock with a bunch of alcoholics. I was in the Taj Mahal. That just came by God, the transformation. Gratitude for everything, right? Spirituality, gratitude in action. They give us some questions before we go uh, into step six. It's important we talk about them. Bill uses the same language over and over, uh, different words to mean the same thing. Before we're ready to go on to six, he says, uh, have we omitted anything? We're building an archway which we're going to pass a free man or woman out last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place, etc.? He's double-checking and triple-checking. Have we left anything in the glove compartment that we don't want to bring into the sponsor's living room? Is everything on board before we go forward? Because I can't sneak through the archway without God, me thinking God doesn't know. And we have some other questions that we created. My, my, my lineage, we, we did this where we, we really look at step one. Am I clear that I'm an alcoholic, my life's unmanageable, drunk or sober? Am I clear that if I don't have this spiritual experience, insanity will return? If I don't turn my will and life over to God, the illness will take it right back. Have I been searching fearless and moral, or have I cut corners? What's that look like? And so when we get done with five, what I did was I took that hour quiet. It took that literally somewhere about the fourth or fifth time, I I got really nuts. I put a book on a shelf and took it down. I'm here now, so it must have worked, right? But I would take that out. and What I did was I gave thanks to my God that I know him better. A deeper understanding with God. New truth showing up. More self dying. More self less God. More God less self. Huh? And so I would what we were told to do is we looked at the defects that were that were revealed to us and we put them on paper, just a little spiritual tool to work with. You don't have to do this. And we listed all these defects that kept being revealed, and we listed the opposite of the defects, dishonesty, honesty. I had something to look at, something to shoot for. And six seven was, was clearly this. What do I think are objectionable here? All of it. None of it's good. Am I willing to surrender all of this to God? Absolutely. Root and branch, rip it out. And that's what I did every single time. I didn't know what to expect when I was done, but I would make a surrender to God and thank him for the opposites. I surrender my dishonesty. I'm broken. Thank you, God, for the power to be honest, and etc. Some people don't like to do that. Some people do. That's how we approach it. It was something to look at. It's never a petition to God. It's not telling God, hey, look, you take this and give me that. What it simply is is a humble offering. This is what was revealed to me, Father. You fix it. What I learned, what I think is good for me might be bad. What I think is bad might be good. God just has to tweak some of that stuff. Maybe it doesn't have to get completely removed. Maybe God's just got to clean it out a little bit. Some of it has to go. It's up to God, which is what our seven-step prayer is shouting about. Good and bad. It's not for me to decide, well, this is good and that's bad. I'll give this to God. That stays in the drawer. Everything. Seven-step prayer is an extension of the third step. It's one movement, three through seven. I'm out of the searching now, so what I do is I have an amen at the seven-step prayer. My creator, I'm now willing to have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands away of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Very little to do with me. It says something later on. says, grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding, to do God's work. Eight, nine, and ten, eleven, go help others in twelve. Amen. And so again, I was asked to break down the seven-step prayer in my language. And what does that look like? Well, the effects of six and seven didn't happen instantly for some of us. It does. Some of us later on. For me, it was much later on. When I'm out making amends, and I'm showing my accountability for harming you, and I'm showing up to make restitution, something happens as we're cleaning up the wreckage of our past that those defects get less and less power. Will I always have defects? That's up to God. Probably. Will they get less? Probably. Do defects have relatives that show up even though that one doesn't? Yes. right. But in my daily surrender to God, I stand a pretty good chance. Now, here's something that might ruffle some feathers, but I'm going to put it out there just to kind of raise the level of awareness. We say God is all-powerful. Some of us do. All-loving. No opposite. All-forgiving. All-powerful. And most, I speak for myself, I'll probably always be broken and defected. But as God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-forgiving, all-loving, all-omnipotent, is it possible if God had a journey or chore for one of us to do for him, he's the boss, I'm the worker, and he said, you know, hey, Joe, listen, I have a special mission for you to do for me. Special mission. I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to give you the power to go do it. But I need you to be defect-free. And God came down from the heavens or from wherever, probably in Boca, right? <laughs> he seems a joke. The Pompano folks just walk right out. And says, "I need you to be defect-free. No defects from here on out. Is it possible that God can come wherever God is and touch one of us on the head and say, no more defects for you till you come home to me? Defect free. Is it possible? Now, if I give a knee-jerk reaction, say, absolutely not, then how big is my God? Is it possible? Absolutely. Will it happen? I don't know. But I'm striving for that. I'm striving to get free. I'm striving to get cleansed. I'm striving to get emptied out, purified, and renewal of the mind. I always share a story. Uh, I had an interesting thing happen to me. I was going to the work, uh, uh, I don't know how many times it was, I think I may have shared this last week, that in six and seven, I start to become physically ill. I did the six and seven work, and I start to feel like I was vibrating, like I'd never been to AA in my life. I felt like an exposed nerve, what do I do? Like I never read the book, I never went through the steps, i never been to AA. No thought of drinking, but I was shaking, I was feeling sick like I was dying and I call my sponsor and he says, it sounds like you're having an experience and hung up the phone (laughs) because I was and he didn't want to interrupt it. I was experiencing what we talk about, the death of self. I was dying the death of self before the physical death. What came out on the other side of the archway was a new person and everything I went into the archway would change on the way out. It's this metanoia, this cleaning out, this purging for renewal of a new mind, a God-mind, a God-inspired mind that doesn't happen by just coming to an AA meeting, as sacred as our meetings are. What lengths am I willing to go to? A very narrow gate I'm going to pass through. A wide gate many of us will pass through, maybe not here, but many people pass through a wide gate because it's easy. God's path is narrow. And so I worked on the six and Seven, and I looked at my defects and I surrendered them to God, not petitioned to god and i didn 't hang around in six and Seven. I found that i can 't work on my defects it 's god 's power. my job is just to offer a surrender, a daily surrender, and it was about going out and fixing the harms I had caused in the past and so I did. But there was a different thing going on within me now. It wasn't so much that, I have to do this. My sponsor told me to do this. I better do this. I got to do this. I got to show up for life. I got to make restitution to others. I got to bear witness for many, just in a simple amends. And as I'm making amends, I'm awakening because I'm about to enter the world of the Spirit in 10 as I clean up the wreckage of my past. My roots were grasping new soil. Something in me was changing I was seeing the world different, and the more amends I made, the more spiritual muscles I got, and the more belief I had in God, the more trust I had in God, and I wasn't walking around with contempt for that same God. God has done such an incredible job with me on the inside. When I say incredible, I mean on me, not like I'm better than anyone, just did such a whole lot of work about me. The same God I scoffed at, and I cursed at, and I damned to hell, I adore and love and worship today and through the process of amends I went back to my church community and sat in a confession that's what we do as Catholics we sit in a confession and I made amends for my, my, my resentments and anger towards the church based on the headlines a lot of us have read and the, pre- the, the, the priest did no preaching he listened to me and he gave me some direction and my commitment was to go back to mass the next day and I did to make amends to God, who's given me all of you in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I wept. Marion was with me, I wept. And I went back the next Sunday and wept. And I've wept every Sunday. And I've returned, in a sense, home. My church has asked me to read during Mass and has made me uh, something called a Eucharistic minister now. I didn't ask. I have a life of invitation. They invited me. We'd like you to read. Oh, we'd like you to offer communion too while you're there. That makes absolutely no sense to a guy who cursed God, but he builds a bridge. When the time is right, I plow a field, God does the growing. Doctor does the surgery, God does the healing. I show up to the altar, with a spirit of surrender, and God says, now, to a life of invitation. I didn't go to church and say, hey, maybe I'll take the priest's place in one day. Could you imagine? <laughs> it's a joke, Shelley. Relax. <laughs> Oof. Tough crowd. So I get to do this. Got a phone call. I get to do something like this. And I wept again. And I hit my mat and I gave thanks. Boss, thank you. I got a bonus. I got a Christmas bonus. You're going to serve for me. I cannot doubt the power of God anymore in my life. I'm surrounded by incredible people because I'm not the dirtbag I used to be. Right? I try to be a direct reflection of this loving God even though I don't know, don't know what it is. And the defects will show up And again, I go back to surrender and writing him and trying to discuss it with someone immediately. 10 and 11 talks about this stuff. But it's my sacrifice to this God. I'm broken. Please fix me. Why? So I can be a circuit speaker? So I can work at a treatment center? No. So I can know you better and I can help your children and they will help me. It's a give and take here. We have gurus in AA. I'm not ashamed to say that. And as much of they has helped me, I've helped them because they told me that. It's a give and take. And God continually builds these bridges. Based on my track record, based on many of our track records, defects of character should have killed me a long time ago because of my sense of separation from this power called God. I can never be separated from that which I am. We can never be separated. That's what we are. Can't be physically separated. But the feeling of being separate from God is very real. It happens to many of us. And like for me, I thought there was no return to that, especially after all the harmful things I've said and my behavior was so harmful, The, the acting out. How could I return to this God? Why would he give me anything? Maybe he'll give me just a little bit. And he gives us abundance over and over and over again. He just keeps feeding us. What does he ask me to do? Go serve his children. And I serve him. When I know God, I know you. When I know you, I know God. And that includes the drunk who's sick and suffering, doesn't smell nice, who's panhandling on the street, because if I deny him, I'm denying my God. Can I help the drunk on the street? Can I help the bum who's not real pretty to look at, who doesn't smell so good, and I'm walking around with a few hundred dollars? Can I give him a $10 bill or buy him lunch? Oh, I can't be bothered with that. He doesn't look good. Well, then shame on me, who claims spiritual progress, who claims to have God in their life, because what I do to the least of them I do to my God. How are my defects of character doing now? Right. That feeling, that right thing, that is that quiet voice, that little push in the gut. I don't have time, God has time for me. I don't have time, drunks have time for me. I can make time, the game can wait, she can wait, he can wait, God comes first. But I can't, and I, trust me, i tried to do that many years ago, Try to live that life. I couldn't pull it off. Lack of power is my dilemma. I have to get this power. I have to experience this power. Who does it for me? It's God working through me and God working through you. The same thing when I'm untreated and I claim God with my lips, my, work, my works fall short. It's me driving me. I'm trying to be spiritual. I'm trying to do the right thing, but I fall short all the time. Six and seven is breathing down my back. And I go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, quick fix, quick quick, quick fix, but I'm never right. I'm never, I'm never recovered. Four through nine, a design for living that works, it will flip us. The spiritual transformation, not just the spiritual experience or something spiritual like watching the sun come up or watching the sun set, perhaps watching our children being born, something we go, oh my God and then go get a drink an hour later. This is a life-changing experience, and we get to a day-to-time experience, permanent sobriety in AA. And little by slowly, take a sledgehammer to defects, take a sledgehammer to self Am I willing to walk this way? Am I willing to turn things over to God? Am I willing to surrender these defects of character? Now, what gets in the way is fear, because fear drives these defects of character. Fear of the unknown. What's going to happen if I give this up? What's going to happen if God removes from this, removes this from me? Where am I going to live? What am I going to be like? The 12 and 12, I think it says something like the hole in a donut. I'm going to be empty. Great. Because hopefully, there's no, at the end of the day, there's nothing left. There is nothing left of me. Nothing. Except God. All my attachments, all my ideas, all my false identities, all it, everything's removed. That doesn't feel good. And the only thing that's left is God. And the only place I got to turn to is not even a sponsor, not even an AA meeting, not even my big book, is to what all those things are driving me to, God. And then we're back to the sacrifice. And we're not even saying, God, but I do these good things. Or I did this good thing. I did an act of charity. It doesn't make a difference. I'm surrendering me again. You fix me. Something happens along the way where we start to fall in love with our God. I don't mean romantically like a husband and a wife or a lover. I'm talking about we start to fall in love with the worshiping of our God where it becomes the most important relationship. It's the most important event, my prayer, of the day, which is completely the opposite of how I and many of us have lived for so long. I'll pray for going. I need money. God, please let somebody drop a wallet. Right? Please let the dealer be home. Please answer my text. Different. And this God who's seeking and saving and seeking and saving, the reason why he's doing that is because I've been lost for so long and now I come here and I go home until God calls me home. And throughout I mean, it blows my mind, through Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, in the process of nine and making amends, I'm sent back to my church to make amends and a whole door blows wide open on me. And I'm willing to surrender everything now. My life's an open book. In fact, I don't even know what I'm going to say when I come up here. I, I trust my God. I love my God so much. I know he'll push words right out of me. When It's a push. It's a push. People say, talk too fast. Talk to God. Don't have to slow me down. <laughs> yeah, it's a push. But the vessel is empty. And I get to show up to a podium or I get to show up to a drunk's house not clogged with me. Experience the depth of self every day. Not clogged with me, not to my visions. I had more visions. I tell you about my visions. I have visions. I have visions. I brushed my teeth. I saw Jesus. Oh my God. No, you didn't. You know, it's not about that. The byproduct of all of this, and we're almost out of time, the byproduct of all of this is a spirit of humility. That I can't say, you can't see, you have, I can't say I have, but others will experience that in a gentle walk, in the firm walk, in the strong walk, in the humble walk, in the God walk. I'd have to say a word. All these defects are fueled by fear. I turn to God. Fear is a manifestation of self. It isn't that powerful. It's all coming from my thinking mind. When I'm sitting on a couch and I'm gripped and I want to act out, all coming from a thinking mind. God is much greater than that. All I have to do is say, God, please take this from me. I'm broken. Here it goes again. I will do anything right now for you. Just get me free. I'll get free. Because my book says we outgrow fear. I start outgrowing fear. They go to defects along the way too. Huh? Six and seven. Sometimes we say six and seven. Well, it's just the fill-in steps. They're little, two, two little paragraphs. What would happen to the 12 steps if we remove six and seven? What would that look like? Imagine showing up to make amends loaded with defects. It would look like this, I'm here to make amends, but if you didn't do that to me, I wouldn't have stole from you, you know. With the same love and and compassion that people have forgiven me for my shortcomings, am I willing to show mercy without judgment on those who come to me with their shortcomings and defects of character? Or am I quick to judge without mercy? And if I do that, no mercy will be shown to me. That's just the spiritual law. Let me be a hearer and a doer, do God's work Faith without works is dead. So I chop wood, and I carry water, and I surrender to my God as often as I can. I've been on three a days for years now because I love my God. He allows me to have relationships and people. Uh, I'll just share something. I I, I used to love people in AA, couples who were both in AA and and walking this walk, really walking this walk and loving God. I said, I'll never meet someone like that. So it is what it is and then God put someone in my life like that just out of nowhere because the ground was fertile and I get to walk this walk with someone who loves God who, who teaches me scripture who t- we pray together and we get to study our book together what a great deal this is Alcoholics Anonymous, the sacred place of Alcoholics Anonymous. If we haven't found out it's sacred, I pray you stick around long enough to find out the sacredness of what we belong to and treat it accordingly with love and compassion. It's the last house on the block, man, all right? So we don't have to slip notes in an envelope. We can just go talk about our disagreements. Hey, I see it one way, you see the other. Let's chop wood and carry water, man. There's people who are sick and dying, all right? I'm not that important. Huh? That's all I got. Peace. Wow.